Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. And let me begin by saying Happy New Year. It's January 1st, and we're looking forward to a great year of ministry together. And we're starting it out with a special series, our Back to the Bible Canada 60th Anniversary Series, featuring both Theodore Epp and Dr. John Newfeld. It's a series called, well, the Back to the Bible Canada 60th Anniversary, and today our message is titled Assurance of Salvation. Dr. John, it's great to have you here this morning, and Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you. It's wonderful to come to a new year and just celebrate everything that God is going to do for us. You know, we thought this would be a special opportunity to celebrate uh, the ministry, but also to celebrate the founder uh, of our ministry, Theodore Epp. And you've, you've spent a lot of time lately thinking about him and listening to him and reading about him. What are your reflections? Well, it's an interesting thing. I, I'm almost getting this sense that I'm getting to know who he is. And, and Ben, I've got to tell you, I think I would have loved this man. So I guess I'm looking forward to meeting him in glory, but I think that the listeners are in for a wonderful treat this time. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to hearing more from you and Theodore Epp today and throughout the week. And every day we'll have a little bit of a flashback with some music from the Back to the Bible Quartet. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, I know that many people have been asking the question, how can I know that I'm really saved? Many of you that have accepted Christ may have joy for a while, and then after a while it seems to fade, and you wonder, Are you really still saved? What does the Word of God have to say about that? Now then, 1 John 5, verse 13, our text for today. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. We're going to take this whole passage, and I want to read it to you now. The fifth chapter of First John, verse 10 through 13. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave his son of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now these things I have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. In order that we may know this, that we have eternal life and have the assurance of our salvation, there are certain things we must know or we must understand in order to, and differentiate, in order to get this subject clear. Then you won't have any trouble. Number one, we must know and understand that there are two aspects to this matter of eternal life. Now, at first, this doesn't sound... uh, You may be mixed up with what I'm talking about, but stay with me, will you? Two aspects of eternal life. For instance, it is one thing to become a Christian. It is another thing to live the life we have now entered by way of illustration. It is one thing for a baby to be born into this world. It's another thing for that baby now to live, walk, and what else uh, it will be doing. Keep that in mind. This is essential 
for our understanding. We can therefore have the assurance of our salvation when we know we have been born again. Well, how can we know that? I'll discuss that with you in a few moments. It is one thing to know Christ as Savior, but it's another thing to know Him as Lord. These are two distinct things in one's life. To know Christ as Savior in us and to know the Holy Spirit producing this life through us are two things that we must distinguish. Or we must distinguish the Christian life as not merely being a better life, that is, trying to be good or different or sincere, but rather that it is a supernatural life, that is, that it's Christ in us. Christ now is our life. In other words, the work of Christ for our salvation is then a finished work. Something he has finished himself and something he's finished in us. Then the work of the Holy Spirit through us is a progressive work. Once we understand the difference between these two, then we can concentrate on this whole matter of salvation and the assurance of salvation. You see, salvation is a birth. Born. You have to be born again. It's not just a cheap believism. As we sometimes have heard, true, it is a believism. We've got to believe. We've got to appropriate. But something happens when when we do this. And that is, we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are then born into God's family. Once we are born into God's family, then we begin to live and walk. But more of this, we must distinguish between our position, which is in Christ, that is the new birth, and our actual condition among men as we walk in this life. In other words, and get this statement, our behavior does not affect our birth, but our birth affects our behavior. Here's what I mean. Let's take the last one first. When we are born again, we receive Christ as our personal Savior, and we receive a new nature, namely His nature. Once this nature has been received, then we walk accordingly. So then, the birth affects my behavior. It changes my behavior. But my behavior does not affect my birth. Supposing I fail. Supposing I just don't walk like I really should. Now then, there are two things there to watch. If there's no change in my walk whatsoever, then it's a proof that I have not been born again. But once I have been born again, I may fail in my walk, which will not change my birth. I will have to do something about my walk, but it will not change my birth. I read in Ephesians, the second chapter in the tenth verse, We are his workmanship, created. Created means making something out of nothing. We were nothing to God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now then, he says, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, for the purpose of good works. These works do not change my being created, but my being created in Christ Jesus will change my works. In Second Peter, the first chapter, Verses 3 and 4, we read this. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I want to pause there for a moment. 
There are two things, he says, that his power has given us. First of all, he has given us all things necessary for life. That is, to receive life, to be born of God. Secondly, he has given us all things for a godly living. How is this done? He says later on, by the that we are made partakers of his divine nature. Now there's another way of looking at this. And I turn to Romans, the fifth chapter, for a text for a moment, uh, where I read this. If then when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What he's saying is, we had to be reconciled to God. To be born into God's family is the effect of being reconciled. Jesus' blood, Jesus dying for us, took away our sins and reconciled us unto God. And God accepted us as his children. Then, secondly, we are saved by his life. That means our daily walk by his life. He now lives this life in us. Or let's examine another scripture. John, the 10th chapter. And first of all, the 10th verse, where he says, I am come that they might have life. You see, Jesus came that we might have life. But notice, and that they might have it more abundantly. He's talking about two things. We've got to distinguish between this. The first is, I came that you might have eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath this life. But he said, I also came that you might have it more abundantly. This has to do with our walk, and which follows, and I'll talk more of that later. In the same chapter, 10th chapter of John, verse 27 and 28, we have these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now first notice, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. The life that God gives us is his own life, the life of his son. It is a birth. We are born into his family. You know when they killed Jesus on the cross, they just killed his physical body. But Jesus lived on and on and on and is still living today. Why? Because he had eternal life to begin with. Once we receive that eternal life, it's the same Christ. That's why he's living today. And he is that life. He's living that life in us. We became one with Christ. And that life can never perish, not even in us. The body may perish, but that life cannot perish. Then notice what else he says about his children. He says, his children hear his voice. And he says, they follow me. And he says, no man shall pluck them out of my hand. I'm going to hold on to them too. Sixty years of Bible teaching ministry in Canada is what we're celebrating in 2018. For that reason, we're launching a number of special events and activities throughout the year to celebrate God's faithfulness. We begin this month by airing a new series featuring both founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. It's a special series for a number of reasons. First, the consistency of the messages from both men hold the same high standard of teaching you've become confident in. And secondly, there's a wonderful solidarity of mission and passion for the scriptures, the legacy, and vision for the future. 
a special gift to you, our friends and supporters. We want to offer this 60th anniversary five-message series on CD as a free gift. All you need to do is contact us today and ask. And to receive more information or support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I can't begin to express enough my gratefulness to Theodore Epps' biblical, clear, and thorough treatment on the subject of the assurance of salvation. I also can't imagine that there's a matter in which a believer in Christ wouldn't be more interested. I mean, none of us should view heaven as a default position. That's to say, none of us should think that we automatically go to heaven when we die. You see, in Theodore Epps' day, even while the majority of people in North America were not born-again believers in Christ, yet the majority thought of God and of eternity in terms of a biblical worldview. So, to the most part, they understood that God was righteous and that he had the right to call them to account for their lives based on his righteous standards. See, they simply assumed the truth of Paul's words in Acts 17.31. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of course, that man is Christ. And so people just assumed an objective, external standard of righteousness. And they assumed that if they failed that standard, they'd be forever condemned. And so the question of how you and I would do when we stood before the bar of God's perfect justice, well, that was a question that people asked. I mean, almost everyone did. And for that reason, both born-again believers and non-believers asked the same question. And so the question of assurance of salvation was uppermost in many people's minds. The reason why we tend to hear fewer messages on assurance of salvation today is because there has been a sea change in thinking when it comes to matters of eternity. Now, while it's still the case that, just like Theodore Epps' day, the majority are not believers in Christ. And just like then, we also need to know how to get on with a righteous God. But what has changed is that the majority no longer think of God and of eternity in, in terms of a biblical worldview. And so the idea of a righteous God has been replaced by the modernist idea of an inclusive God, a God who accepts people regardless of who they are and what they believe, or even the ethical decisions that they've made. Indeed, according to the modernist idea, God knows us all well enough to know that we're all doing the best that we can. And if we're not, it's because we're broken and hurting and we've been injured and we're reacting out of our woundedness. And so, according to the modernist, God comes to help us out rather than to save us. And so, most people today aren't looking for assurance of salvation. They can't imagine any kind of God other than the one that our culture has constructed for us. And so while it is vital and essential and of complete importance that we help people understand where assurance of salvation can be found, and yet, before people can see that as a relevant question, something has to be said and taught before we can hear what Theodore Epp has so powerfully taught us from Scripture. We need to smash the idols of our day and replace them with the God of the Bible. So Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and thus all human beings, without exception, do have a default position. Our default position is not heaven, but rather it's judgment and eternal death. 
Romans 1 verse 18 and following says that the wrath of God is right now being declared against the human race because we refuse to bow and worship the Creator. But Romans 5 verse 6 reminds us that Christ died for the ungodly, and that just assumes that we are ungodly and that we have a debt before God, a debt that we can't pay. And according to Romans 5 verse 10, Christ died for us while we were enemies of God. That is, Christ came because we were enemies of God. And Romans 5 9 reminds us that for those who believe, we've been justified by his blood, saved from the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that every single human being is dead in trespasses and sins. And verse 3 reminds us that we are by nature the objects of divine wrath. And it's against this background that we must hear the anguished cry of the Philippian jailer, found in Acts 16, verse 30. What must I do to be saved? See, the idea that his soul was in peril led him to that question. And so salvation is exactly that. It is salvation. We are saved from something. According to the Bible, we must be saved from our sins and from death and from hell, and from judgment, and from wrath. The cry of anguish is this, what can atone for my sins? See, I want you to note several important points that that Theodoret makes. He's very careful to make a distinction between the work of Christ in us and the work of the Holy Spirit through us, or as he later says, our behavior does not cause the new birth, but the new birth affects our behavior. See, that distinction is imperative. Reforming your behavior, it is keeping the law, changing our attitudes, doing my best, praying more, giving generously, embracing meditation and spirituality, nothing but nothing makes us right with a righteous God. What Epp's talking about are Jesus' words to the Jewish ruler Nicodemus, recorded in John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then, of course, later on in verse 8, Jesus speaks about being born again as being born of the Spirit. And so, according to Jesus, we must receive the new birth just to get to heaven. Unless you've been born from above, born of the Spirit, unless you have received what, what Ezekiel 36 verse 26 speaks of. God is speaking and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. Unless this has been accomplished, you'll never pass the judgment to come, or as Jesus said it, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Again, in our day, we need to convince people that unless God gives life to a condition that is dead in sin, unless we're raised from our rebellious, God-hating condition, unless God provides a miracle and changes us from within, well, then we simply can't see the kingdom of God. In Theodore Epps' day, a great many Christians were asking the question, a question that we really should ask as well. How can I know that I've genuinely experienced the new birth? For them, that was the very same question as asking, how can I have assurance of salvation? And I hope you hear that. And so Theodore Epps carefully takes his listeners to 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. He begins with verse 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And see, I also noticed that Theodore Epps said that if there is no change in my walk, it's a proof that I haven't been born again. And that's because he simply assumes 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, 
for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so again, if there is no change in my walk, I've not been born again. The new birth places a seed of God within us so that we begin to hate sin and love Christ and love to bring our lives under his lordship. But again, did you notice how careful Epp was when he said, our behavior does not bring about the new birth, but our new birth affects our behavior. And in all of this is the nub of the issue. Only Christ can save us from our sins. Only Christ can give us the new birth. And once born again, our our status changes. Once born again, we're not perfect. Now that we're born again, the, the Holy Spirit is living in us and he's progressively changing us. We may fail, but, but that doesn't affect our new birth. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, born-again Christians aren't perfect, but it's never enough to say we're just forgiven. We're more than just forgiven. Christ has come to live in us, and new heart has been given to us. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and our heart's desire is now fundamentally changed so that we find God and the cross of his dear Son to be the delight of our hearts. Salvation truly is a birth, but once the birth has occurred, the new life has just begun. And that life is eternal life. That's to say, we really don't lose our salvation whenever we sin, but we do prove our salvation whenever we sin, for when the believer sins, he or she confesses that sin in Christ, our faithful Savior, never fails to give us all the evidence that we need, that the forgiveness we seek has already been accomplished on his cross. And that, in essence, is the bedrock that provides for us the assurance of our salvation. There's so much more to say, and I'm so thankful for this beginning of this week in which we celebrate uh, the 60th anniversary of the beginning of this ministry in this country. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue this great series for our 60th anniversary. And a reminder, you can have a copy of this CD series for yourself for free as our gift by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or going to backtothebible.ca. This has been Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're so grateful for the incredible support Back to the Bible Canada received during the Believe campaign in December. Your generosity has positioned the ministry well for the beginning of 2018. As you know, the key verse for the campaign was John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This verse represents the heart of this ministry. Bible teaching that draws people of all ages and backgrounds into a deeper walk and standing in Christ. 
In 2018, we celebrate 60 years of ministry in Canada. It couldn't have happened without you, so we extend our most sincere thanks. And keep an ear open for all the upcoming special activities, programs, and events that will take place throughout the year. For more information and to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.